listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Thanks for joining us. We got some uh, WSU fam in the house from out of town. Yeah. I love the uh, mom slash family weekends. Um, seems like everybody just comes to everything now. So we're glad that you're here if you're with us. Um, if you are uh, visiting and if uh, with a, a student or if today is your first day, um, welcome, number one, we're glad that you're here. Number two, hang on to your hat. This is not a normal Sunday for us as a church. Uh, there's some cool things going on in our midst and some big changes going on in our midst. And uh, you're going to get a hang on for the ride today. So a couple housekeeping things real quick as we get started. Um, these we handed out to everybody last week, and then there's a whole bunch of them right outside of that door when you leave. One side of it has got stuff for young adults, uh, college-age folks to go to Palouse Falls. The other side's got marriage fixer-upper, workshop stuff. So if you've been married more than 12 seconds, it's a good idea that you work on your marriage. Um, if you're like two days post-honeymoon, it's a good idea that you work on your marriage, and then every day there on after, right? Um, uh, those of you in this room that have been married for a long time, it gets really easy as you keep going, right? Not so much. Like it takes work to work on your marriage. So um, if you're married, go to that. If you know somebody that's married, send them to it. There's my uh, rehash sales pitch. So there you go. Uh, that's coming up. Also out there uh, on that uh outside the doors on the table when you're leaving and people have them. There's just these little, just simple little cards that say Easter on them in the back. It's got our info about services for next weekend here. So it's just something to break the ice. To, if you're inviting a friend or a coworker maybe to go, hey, here's some stuff about church next weekend. I don't know if your family goes to church, but here's the details about ours. If you're looking for a place to go, come find us. Like if you're trying to do one of those real uncomfortable invites, sometimes handing them something helps break the ice. How many people in here have somebody in mind that they are hoping to uh, bring next weekend with them for Easter? Nice. Bunch of people. Don't, I wasn't really like taking a tally or anything, just so you know. Like um, God knows, you know, so there's that. Um, Seriously, uh, it is uh, one of the times a year where um, people almost sort of expect somebody to invite them to Easter. And there's been all kinds of surveys done throughout the years from Christian pollsters. And one of the things that they always keep bringing up, and I don't know how true it is or not, but um, is they say that one of the most cited reasons that people don't come to church is that nobody invited them. And so if that's all it's going to take, let's erase that reason and just invite everybody in town. All right. And then if they have another reason, that's on them. But let's invite them. So uh, we're excited for Easter next weekend. Um, we have a cool message this morning and some cool things going on. I need to tell you up front um, that I am going to need your uh, grace uh, personally today. Um, I am uh, preaching something this morning that I have known was coming for a long time and have been super, super excited about this day. Uh, some things happened in my family this week that um, make me preaching this sermon that I was very excited and sharing the news that's happening this morning that I have been excited for weeks to share, make sharing it authentically with a giant grin on my face really hard. And it has nothing to do with the news. Uh, 
I just need to be real, okay? Because there's an element of like toughing it out, which I'm doing. Um, but there's also an element of being fake, which I'm trying to not do, okay? So I'll share with you guys later. I can't talk about it right now and move forward. So hang in there with me, okay? And give me some grace. You guys good? All right. So we're going to watch a video in a few minutes from uh, Aaron and Kelly, who are the uh, lead pastors that founded Real Life on the Palouse, our church here in Moscow and Pullman. And one of the things I wanted to do before we watch that is kind of give everybody a little real life history lesson, because a lot of people um, are familiar with some of the real life story. And some of you are only familiar with the like Real Life on the Palouse part of the story. And then some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. So in order for us to kind of all get up to speed, it's important that we take a few minutes and kind of remember how we got here so that we can know where we're going. All right. So a little over 20 years ago, Aaron and Jim, uh, Aaron Couch um, and Jim Putman uh, both uh, did Bible uh, school together. They had different careers and different paths. Both happened to have uh, dads that were pastors and church planners and, and they grew up um, doing church. And so they became friends and God gave them an opportunity to come to uh, Post Falls, Idaho to plant a church a little over 20 years ago. There was a few families that were praying in a backyard and invited them and said, hey, we wanna start a church. We don't have any money, building, resources, staff, anything. We're wondering if you guys are interested in coming. And they were like, it sounds like a terrible idea. When do we start? Something like that. It's sort of a legend story if you get the back parts of it. But uh, so they show up, they start, and essentially uh, it becomes a small group. And then it becomes a handful of small groups. And, and then there was a guy up in Coeur d'Alene for years that was called Sean Monty Logging. I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore or he's still around or what the deal is. But he had this little yellow junky house next to their log yard on Celtis that like if the wind blew, it should have fell over. It was such a piece of junk house, but it was free to do ministry in. And so they used that house to do ministry in. And so that was the first place they ever actually had like a church service. And it was in a house with a guy standing in the living room and people on the stairways and some in the kitchen and some people with the window open standing outside, like really redneck North Idaho church plant, <laughs> right? This is a long ways from where these boys started. And so it blew up and people kept coming and people kept coming and they get involved in home groups. And so one thing led to another and they went to the Post Falls theaters and they started meeting in the theaters. And then that grew to the point where they were outgrowing the space there and more and more people were get connected and involved in home groups, not just Sunday morning stuff. They were connecting with each other outside of church and they were communicating a vision and a, a passion for people to be in relationship with each other, not just on Sundays. And it was taking root. And so then the next thing happens is they go to a school gym and then the school gym gets too small and they're adding services and things are crazy. And then a guy who some of us are familiar with a company called Solomon Foundation. Um, some of us, uh, they're an organization that takes money from folks like us that would normally invest in a bank. They invest it with Solomon. Solomon uses that money to build churches. And so long before we knew about Solomon, the guy that runs his name's Doug, Doug found out about Jim and Aaron and he found out about this crazy church thing that was blowing up in North Idaho and all these people in small groups and all these people coming and they, he was like, they're meeting in school gyms and theaters and yellow houses. How is this happening? And Doug, unbeknownst to them, went out and started shopping for property. 
And so he found 13 acres for sale behind Ziggy's and Post Falls. And he called Jim up and says, you don't know me, but I know you and you guys need a building. And he bought the property and helped build the first building before Jim ever even knew him. God has been at work big time in the history of our church. And so they built this building. And of course, Aaron and Jim grew up in church. They both grew up in church plants and seeing their dad's pastor. And the building they built, they thought was this like, what if we ever filled that? What? Like it was crazy, right? It was this big steel building. We affectionately called it the uh, diaper dome because it was like all that white insulation on the inside. It was real <laughs> North Idaho fancy is what it was. <laughs> right? Which is why I started going to church there because I was like, hey, this is my kind of speed right here. Like I fit in. This is like regular people. Regular. It's not fancy polished purple carpet. This is like, this is normal. I, this makes sense to me. And so about that time, there was about 500 people coming to church there and it seemed insane to have 500 people coming to church. And my wife and I started going there at that time and then shortly after that, uh, Aaron and Jim were crazy enough to give me a job, and I started as the family and parenting pastor, uh, which was hilarious because my wife and I were both divorced and had been remarried, and we're blending together a family that we had no idea how to do, and they gave me a job to like tell other people about parenting. Like, <laughs> says a lot about their judgment right there, I'll just say that. And we got involved in that and marriage ministry. And then I became what I was really called to and passionate about was youth ministry. And I became the middle school pastor and then did youth ministry for lots of years. And then on and on and on the story goes. Now, Post Falls is blowing up. They are barely in that building that they thought they'd never fill up for more than just a few months and had to go back to the Post Falls High School gym because there wasn't enough room. That room was only big enough for the kids now. And so the people had to drive across the street, drop their kids off, and then like three blocks around the corner into a parking lot, into a gym, through the da-da-da-da and over the hill, right? And they go to church. We did that for a long time while we were building another building big enough to hopefully fit everybody for a while. And so that building gets built and modulars are added and portable buildings for classrooms and all this stuff. And, and this crazy movement is happening in North Idaho where there's now upwards of eight to 10,000 people coming to Sunday services in Post Falls, a town of about 30,000 people at the time. And they, they started looking at it going, we really need to think about how to uncork this and let some of this go out some of there. And what would that look like? And what would church plants look like in campuses and satellites? And they started exploring all kinds of options. And Aaron and some of his people that were close with him at the time uh, felt like God was really calling them down to the Palouse. And so they came a little over 10 years ago down to Moscow Pullman and planted Real Life on the Palouse, which is what you guys know as your church. And so that became the first church plant from Real Life in Post Falls. It's not a denomination. They're just independent, non-denominational Christian churches. They're just, everybody just does their own thing. We all kind of do ministry the same way and have the same philosophy of ministry and background and kind of upbringing, if you will. They all have a, a kind of the personality of some of the pastor and staff. And there's some little bit of differences, but we're very similar in how we do ministry and all of the different real lives. To give you an idea now, there's seven real lives. And I just heard this week about an eighth one that's getting ready to get uh, launched. There are seven independent real life churches 
that uh, most have also got satellite campuses, multiple campuses, and many of them have planted. There's now three in Spokane, one in the Spokane Valley. Spokane Valley's planting in Freeman, which is kind of cool for us to know that there's going to be a church in Freeman. Some of us know folks up that way. And so that's coming on the, on the horizon. Just to kind of give you guys a frame of reference, a little over 20 years ago, it was a, it was a home group, Right? Next Sunday for Easter, there's going to be upwards of 30,000 people sitting in a real-life church hearing the gospel, right? So I share all of that to help get you some history, okay? Um, the rest of the story for us down here in the, on the Palouse is Aaron and Kelly come down here. They go through a similar experience where it's schools and gyms and trying to figure out a home until they landed at SEL, which uh, some of us are a little familiar with. We've spent a little time over there uh, setting up chairs and all that good stuff. And so they were there for a long time. And then about six-ish years ago, there was an opportunity to purchase for us as a church to purchase the east side marketplace in Moscow, the mall over there. And so the church bought the mall, the whole thing, parking lot, pizza hut, the whole thing, like all the land and buildings and everything in an effort to create something that produced not only opportunities in the community, but profit to do ministry. Like instead of the mall making money for someone that owned a mall, now the mall makes money for the church. And we use that money for ministry in our community and beyond. And so that's happened and is working. And part of the deal they did is they remodeled a section of the mall and put the Moscow church next to the dollar store, right? So you can get your Jesus on and your dollar, whatever. So that's gone really well. And then what they did when they uh, branched and said, you know what, Pullman's going well. We don't want to not have a church in Pullman. And so kind of out of necessity, they became one church with two campuses, two locations. And so for a long time, they worked out the kinks. And for those of you that have been around for a while, especially if you've been around behind the scenes volunteering and serving, you'll all be aware that sometimes it worked awesome and sometimes it didn't work awesome with the kinks, like trying to broadcast and do video venue and then working out different staffing stuff. And there have been parts of it that have been great and there have been parts of it that haven't been that great and not on anybody's fault. It's just the working through the structure of stuff. And so a few years ago, there was even discussion about whether or not it made sense to keep Pullman open or whether or not to just move Pullman back to Moscow. And there was conversation about that. And thankfully, um, there were some people involved that really had a vision for real life uh, in Pullman and saw a future for real life in Pullman and fought and argued and defended their cause, like rightly so, so that Pullman would stay open. And so through that season, there was some ups and downs. And then shortly after that, Aaron called me up and, and said, you know, hey, I want you to come out here and look at moving Pullman forward. Like, you know, being involved in our team over there. And a lot of you that have been around know a little bit of the story of how we came out here. And so that's kind of how that came to be. Now, I share all of that to give you the broader, bigger picture of what's been happening and what God has done through our church. And when I say our church, I'm not talking about just Pullman. I'm not talking about just Moscow. I'm talking about the bigger movement that we've been a part of with all of these crazy people that are doing real life ministry around our region. There's one in 
Napa, there's one in Houston, there's getting ready to be one in Phoenix, there's one in Missoula, there's one that we're helping in Bozeman. I mean, we, there's three in Spokane, four, one in the Valley. Like we've got, it's something bigger than just us. And it's important for us to keep that in mind as we think about where we're at here on the Palouse and where we're going in the years to come. So with that in mind, I want you to watch this uh, from Aaron and Kelly. For the past 11 years, it's been our privilege to serve as the founding and lead pastors for Real Life on the Palouse. For the last five of those years, Real Life has existed as one church with two locations. The heart of multi-site churches is to be able to expand ministry opportunities with less resources. We've been able to do just that. By using a single administrative department, we've saved money that's gone directly back into ministry, leading to more changed lives. At some point, organizations outgrow their structure. Couple that with the dynamic changes that happen due to life being full of change, and we wind up having to adapt and change the organization to meet new and exciting opportunities as we continue to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. As we've continued to see God bless our church, we're at an all-time high in attendance. The number of small groups is the highest it's ever been, and last year we had more baptisms than any other year of our existence. This year, we're on pace to surpass those numbers and are grateful to the Lord and you for making this happen. In light of this, we're now in the process of adapting our structure in order to accommodate current and future growth. A key factor in accomplishing this is to allow the Moscow and Pullman campuses to be independent of one another. There are several reasons we believe this is the best way to accomplish the mission God has given us this in this season of growth. The impact of both campuses are having on their communities cannot be understated. This along with other factors is leading us to make this decision. Another big reason for making this decision now is the amazing team we now have in Pullman. Thad, Corbin, Terry, and Alex have been doing an incredible job of moving Pullman forward and taking ground here on the Palouse. Because of this, our current staff and volunteers have been feeling the pressure in meeting the needs of both campuses equally. Rather than hold on to what has worked in the past, we want to be open to what God's doing now and in the future. And with that often comes significant change. We're blessed to have a team of staff and volunteers who are willing to take this next big step with courage and faith in what God will do. Another factor in this decision is a very personal one for Kelly and I, one that has taken a lot of courage and faith, not only in our church family, but in our personal lives as well. Kelly and I were called 11 years ago to plant a church and have been blessed by what God has done and what we've been able to be a part of. For the past year, God has been preparing us to make changes as well. And in July, we will be relocating to a church in Denver where I will be the lead pastor. We're excited for this new opportunity, but also have very mixed emotions as this has been our home for over a decade. I want you all to know that there is nothing wrong here. And in fact, I'm more at peace than I ever would have been because I know we will be leaving with both campuses in more than capable hands. I know God still has more to do here. And with Thad's leadership and love for you, I'm confident God will accomplish all he's intended for Pullman in the coming years. More than anything, we want you to know we will miss our real life family deeply. And we'll shed many tears as we head out on our next adventure but our hearts are always to serve the Lord first and to leave a legacy that we will always risk everything to be a part of God's work in the world. 
Thank you so much for everything that you've allowed us to experience in the past 11 years. We love you all. Love you. So, pretty big changes for us as a church. Pretty exciting things going on for us as a church. Um, one of the things I want to make sure everybody, uh, there's, there's all these like little things that sometimes we get to be a part of hearing parts of the story and it doesn't trickle out. And so one of the things I want to make sure and share with you guys is Aaron and Jim have talked for years about what would it look like to take this kind of church the kind of church that we've done all throughout North Idaho and now are taken beyond our uh, panhandle region and around the greater Northwest, the kind of church where uh, relationship is at the core, where doing life together is at the core of how we do ministry, right? That's the philosophy behind how we make disciples is that it's through relationship and that it's not it's not about um, everybody coming on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is super important. It's where we rally together as a family. It's where we're encouraged and spurred on and, and we hear direction and vision and it's where we get to pray and worship together that's unlike any other opportunity where we get to worship and pray. And it's super vital for us as a family, but it's not the end all. The back half of that is that we're in relationship together throughout the week and we're doing life together and we're in each other's business in a good way. We know what's going on when things are tough. We know how our marriages are doing. We know how our kids are doing. We know when our friends are struggling and we know when to go celebrate with them like and throw a party, right? Like something cool happened in their life. That kind of ministry is... Although for some of you, if this is all you've ever known, it's not common. And they've always wondered, like, what would it look like to take that kind of ministry into a metropolitan area? To an area where people do life differently, where they book it out of the garage in the morning and they drive home into the garage door opener and pull in and check out. Like, they're not a know-your-neighbors type of environment. It's a different kind of environment. What would it look like to bring this style of relational ministry to a metropolitan area where people do life differently. And it's just always something that they've been excited about and wanted the opportunity to do. It just hadn't come along yet. And then this thing comes up. And so it's pretty cool because there's just only about 3 million people in the Denver area. Um, there's a little bit of opportunity. Uh, Aaron is, is uh, for sure sad about leaving here. And uh, at the same time, really excited about the opportunity that God's got before him. And that's kind of where all of us are that have known him for a long time. Uh, Aaron's hired me twice um, and never fired me once. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> I bet you he can't say that about too many other people. Um, and uh, I don't, I'm, I'm hoping I don't get hired a third time by him because I don't know. Every time it like turns out to be this crazy adventure that I don't know, I sort of got in over my head both times. Um, and that's where I tend to live. So I guess there's that. Um, I just want you guys to know that they're sad to go. I have told them, I, on behalf of all of us that love Aaron, I have told him that he's a jerk. <laughs> as often, as frequent as possible for about the last while. I've told him he's a jerk in his garage. I've told him he's a jerk when we were riding around in his truck. I've told him he's a jerk in his office. I mean, I love the guy, but I'm like, dude, you hire me, you bring me out here and you leave me? Like what? I'm just kidding, sort of, <laughs> right? 
Here's the cool thing to remember going forward is yes, it's a change. Yes, it's a transition, but we're on the same team, right? Like he's, he's just going somewhere else to build kingdom. Like there's a day I will get to visit Denver and I'll have a bunch of brothers and sisters there that are like, hey, I know that guy and I know that guy and I know him and we'll have friends in common. Like how cool is that? And the same for all of us. So that, for that, I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm really excited for us as a church here in Pullman that we have started the process of becoming independent. And so that, that process, the behind the scenes work is going on. It's, uh, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. There are no bad reasons behind the motives for it in any way. Like we are all getting along great. We love each other. The current eldership, we all get along great. We get along great with the, the Moscow team. It's just a, a function of what's making the most sense to help us both move forward so we can respond faster to the needs in our community. We can uh, do ministry that meets the needs in our community and the opportunities that we see without having to kind of like balance the balancing act of serving both out of one team. And so um, we're all excited about it. We're going to play well together. There are all kinds of things that we're going to continue to do well together with children's ministry and youth ministry, do camps together, sermon club where we work on messages together. Like all of the benefits of having a great sister church stay the same. And some of the things that were complicated go away. It's a win-win. So we're super excited about that. Um, when we think about change and transition and what God has in store for us here in Pullman in particular, I want us to kind of spend a little time and look at a couple of stories and compare and contrast a couple of stories to help make sure that we are focused on the right things in these next weeks and months for us as a family over here. That we're focused on the things that matter to God and we don't get sidetracked on the things that maybe sometimes can feel really important to us in the moment, all right? So I want us to look at a story that's a story a lot of people have looked at often. It, it's, not a, it's not an unfamiliar story, but it's one that people will often read and they try to wrestle with and, and determine like, what exactly was the sin? What exactly were they doing wrong? Like, what, what was it that caused God to intervene? Let's take a look at this one. Genesis 11 says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found the plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, as if, uh, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why uh, it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. So it's not, the issue isn't that they were building a big city. The issue isn't that they were effective and efficient and like skilled builders and bricklayers. The, the issue isn't even that they were building a huge tower to try and reach the heavens, right? To be known like this spectacle, to be seen for miles and miles around. That in and of itself was not the issue. 
The issue was the motives, the, the reason for wanting to do these things. The, the, the motives of their heart, their intentions were to make a great name for themselves, to like build their reputation and fame so that everybody would know everywhere, always, from, the, from then till the ends of time that, that they were awesome. Look at what we can do. And God comes along and is like, it's not about whether or not you can build great things. It's about you're off track from the get-go. It's about you're approaching this to see how great you can be. And you've forgotten about my reputation and how great I am. And so he does something miraculous with their speech. He confuses their speech so that this group of people who are efficient and clearly communicating to one another and working well together to accomplish their mission can't speak to each other anymore. Like there's confusion and misunderstanding and they don't know what's going on. And so they get spread apart. Now, here's something that's important to always remember. Always remember about God that God is a God of restoration. God is always at work restoring and putting things back together to look the way they should look before sin came in. And so when you see a story like this where, where God undoes something, where he takes something away, it's like they were speaking and working so clearly and they could communicate so well and God comes in and takes away their ability to understand each other. You should start to wonder, is there ever a time that God would ever do something like give them that ability back? Is there ever a time that God would restore that, the, the, the willingness and the ability to understand each other clearly? Now, we're going to leave that story in the dust and we're going to jump in the time machine. You ready? Remember I said you got to hang with me today. Firing on about two of eight cylinders. And those two aren't running good. We're going to jump in the time machine. We're going to fast forward all the way up past Jesus. We're going to fast forward past Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you want that story, come next week, right? We're going to lay it down next week, and it's going to be good. Be here. We're going to fast forward past Jesus ascending back to heaven, and we're going to zoom in on this time when Peter and the other apostles post-resurrection, post-time with Jesus, after Jesus goes back to heaven, like if there was ever a season where these guys were on the tail of a big transition, when things had rocked their world and, and all of the change that they could ever imagine happening had happened, this was the time. And we can learn something by looking at that time and seeing what were they doing and what were they about. It says that Peter and the other apostles went back to Jerusalem to the upper room and they were in the upper room with Mary, the mother of Jesus and other women and they gathered together constantly and joined in prayer. So right out of the gate, on the heels of all of that change and transition in this big season of new and unknown, the first thing they did is go back to where they started and hit the deck and pray with their friends. And then right after that, it says that Peter, 
along with the apostles and the gals that were there with them and about 120 people present all together, Peter starts to talk to him about their, their need to replace Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus. They need to replace him as an apostle. And so he talks about how David had prophesied that this was going to happen and, and how it was going to happen. And he talked about how important it was that they replaced him with someone that had been with them the whole time. That the whole time that Jesus was there, some, one of the people that was with them would be the new apostle. It was important, he said, that they picked someone that was there all the way from the beginning when Jesus was baptized by John, clear up through the time that Jesus was ascended and went back to heaven. Who was there that would be a witness that could testify to the same things they could testify to as apostles? And so two names were presented, Joseph and Matthias, and they prayed and they asked God for direction to help them know who was the right man to help be involved at that level of leadership for the church moving forward. And they cast lots, the lot fell to Matthias and they chose Matthias as the apostle to replace Judas. You see, this is what they were about on the heels of a big change, on the heels of a big transition. They were about rallying together to pray. They were about seeking God to know what the leadership should look like moving forward. And it's pretty fascinating to me and pretty dang cool that on the heels of this, this behavior by them, this commitment involved in these things, that on the heels of that, we see them at Pentecost and God starts to do something crazy with the way people speak. Pentecost is a festival that, that got its name, it got changed to Pentecost at this event. Prior to that, it was the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Harvest. And it was uh, to celebrate the wheat harvest. And it always came, yeah, we got a little wheat harvest on the Palouse, right? We could celebrate. It always came seven weeks after Passover. And so sometimes it was called the, the Feast of Weeks because it was a week of weeks. Seven weeks, you get it? You guys, sometimes I'm smart and you should give me credit. Doesn't happen a lot and I want a like, little thumbs up once in a while. Thank you. So it was a Feast of Weeks. And so that's why all these people from all around the country and all around the nation had gathered together to celebrate this festival. So there's all these people from all these different areas here at this time, and Peter gets to throw down and give the sermon of his lifetime, right? Let's take a look at what was going on. And Acts chapter two starts off like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Like there's folks from everywhere. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? There was Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. 
Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. There was visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. There was Cretans and Arabs. And they were all saying, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had a little too much wine. And Peter stood up and with the 11, he raised his voice and he went to address the crowd. And he said this, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He goes on to talk about what Joel prophesied. He goes on to give this like ultimate recap. It's in your notes. You can read it on your own. It's also in your Bible. It's also in like seven places on your phone, um, right? He goes on to give this ultimate recap that talks about what had happened and what Joel had prophesied and what had come to pass and ultimately verifying and reassuring them that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he really was who was prophesied about, to be the savior, to be the Messiah. And at the end of this kind of recap, this big long story, this sermon that Peter preaches that basically kind of gives them this, like this is what has just happened. Do you guys understand what has just happened? And at the end of that message, these people from all over throughout the region, it says that they're pierced to the heart. They're their heart is convicted like with this guilt and like ugh, gut punch kind of feeling. This idea that they're, they're convicted about like, wow, we get it now. We get it now. How could we miss that? And this conviction and, and, and concern of like, are we too late? What do we do now? Like, he's gone. Now what do we do? Did we blow it? Did we lose our chance? And I just imagine Peter just standing back there with his feet just stomping, like, like just biting his tongue, waiting to just like burst out with good news. Because he's like, now... Now, now, you want to know what you do now? Now you repent. You put your feet back to the path that leads you to God. And you get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God is going to give you a gift. He is going to give you his spirit to live with you and walk with you and guide you for all your days forward. Like, now you want to know what to do? I was hoping you'd ask. Like, that's kind of what I think Peter was saying. He's like, whoo, I was hoping it'd get to this part. This is my favorite part. You're not too late. You didn't miss your chance. We have a God that is so good that even in his absence, he has made a way for you to have him, relationship with him now and every day. And it says that out of that crowd full of people, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. 3,000 people baptized, all in, following Jesus. Pretty good start to the church, huh? And from that day forward, 
people just started walking the walk. They started like going, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? How do we follow the, the teachings of the apostles? We, now that we know what we know, we want to know more, right? What do we do next? And so they just started spilling their guts, like here's how you actually follow Jesus. And what happened next is something that for centuries people have looked back to as a benchmark passage, a benchmark piece of God's history that people in the church have looked back to as the thing to shoot for. Like this is, if there was ever a passage of scripture for us as a church and for so many other thousands of churches that you could look to any one passage in scripture and go, how did we know? How would we know if we were on track? What would it look like? Everybody always goes, we want to be an Acts 2 church. We want to be like the church in Acts. Because when people repented and got baptized and looked to the apostles and said, what next? It looked like this. In Acts 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Like, oftentimes people look back to that passage with... um, almost a a bit of mourning, like, oh, it would have been nice to be there. uh, Like, wouldn't it be cool if that could ever happen again? Man, I've lived it. I have lived it. I've been a part of this real life crazy journey. And I'm not saying we got the corner on the market by any stretch, but I have lived it where there are so many people choosing to follow Jesus. You literally have no idea what to do with them. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of baptisms. People showing up saying, I want to serve. I want to help. I want to be plugged in. And you're like, like you, you, you. Like there was a time in the history of our church in Post Falls where Jim stood up on the stage and said, I love you all. Like we're so overwhelmed. And it's a good thing, sort of. Like, but in leadership, it's like, holy smokes. And he said, anybody in this room that's been a Christian, I don't even remember what it was. This is like a legend story now. Everybody tells it different. It's like a fishing story. (laughs) So I'll make up my own facts like a good fishing story. It was something like five years. Anybody that's been a Christian for longer than five years, please stand up. And they stood up. And he says, folks, look around. These are your new home group leaders. (laughs) You want to know what it's like to be in an Acts 2 church? That's it right there. That's what it's like for us going forward. I want us to be about the right things. I don't want us to get sidetracked focusing on a building. Would it be great to have a building? Yep, sure would. Let's let God take care of that stuff in his timing. I don't want to be super highly effective, efficient people that are about trying to figure out how to build the right building. I think we've seen how that worked out before. I want us to be like the apostles and those early disciples that in a time of transition and big change, we hit our knees and we get together with our family and friends and we pray. 
and we rally together to ask God for direction and help and we rally together to look out for each other and it draws us together in a way like nothing else can. And we pray for leadership and for the right men to step in and be involved in eldership here as we move forward in that process. For God to give us the right leaders that have a vision for Pullman, not new guys that just came on yesterday, guys that have got the history of real life, that know the history of the Pullman church, that know the history of what's going on around here. So they can testify to what God's been doing and is continuing to do. I think we've got some good leaders to follow and some good examples to follow in God's word. So I'm super excited for the future of our church here. Um, we're gonna do something a little bit different at communion um, today when we wrap up. We're gonna uh, go ahead and serve communion. And so if you are serving communion, if you'd go ahead and start passing that out, if you're new with us or just visiting from out of town, we do communion every week at Real Life. And the way we do it is uh, we call it an open table. And that means that if you want to remember with us the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you want to celebrate with us his resurrection, please take communion with us. We look at you like your family if you're following Jesus, all right? And so when you uh, get your elements, go ahead and hold on to them, and we're going to take communion here uh, in a few minutes, okay? Now, real quick. Uh, look at the back of your sermon notes, the very back page. I just want to call your attention to something. There's kind of a prayer guide on the back of your sermon notes. And so rather than doing questions and a discussion in your home groups this week, you're going to pray. And so I'm asking everybody in our church for us to gather together in our groups, with our family, with our friends, and pray for those five things. And not just when you meet in your home group, but also... Uh, maybe even say, hey, I'm going to start a send a text out. Home group, Monday we pray for number one. Tuesday we pray for number two. And if your group meets on Wednesday, you pray for all of them. Thursday you pray, you know, and so on. That we're committing to pray together as a church. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.